Morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.22 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 7th of August, 2019. This is episode 123 of Bitcoin and... And it's kind of a heavy news day, uh, kind of. Lots of stuff going on, so we'll uh, get right into this. Um, well, one of the first thing I wanted to do is say congratulations to Nick Batia, who tweeted out today that Bitcoin has helped me achieve freedom. Earlier this week, I resigned from my job as a bond trader to pursue other opportunities made possible by the incredible support you have all shown for the time value of Bitcoin and associated work exciting announcements to come. So another one has left Plato's cave. Just don't go back and try to show the other people in the cave what, what they're missing, or they may, well, read Plato's cave, the allegory or Plato's, the allegory of the cave. It, it doesn't end very well for trying to go back. Okay. So what else is going on in, in the community? Uh, Rosa Reedy, uh, the, former Miss America, or not Miss America, uh, was it Miss Universe contestant, uh, has this to say about Bitcoin. Bitcoin stock to flow ratio is going higher every four years. At the moment, we're at a ratio of over 25. The only asset higher than that is gold, approximately 60. We're only nine months away from the next next Bitcoin block reward having, or the having, Whatever you're doing right now, stop and stack sats. <clears throat> so she gets it. She, she apparently has been reading the stock to flow stuff uh, from our good friend. Is what, what is it? Hundred million, hundred million Bitcoin or one million Bitcoin? I can't remember the guy's name, but he's a uh, uh, been doing the stock to flow thing for a while, and and now even uh, even you know this woman from I think she is from Denmark or Finland, somewhere up there. Um, even she's just like, she, even she gets it. So that's cool, man. That's cool. And another thing that is really cool is Azteco at A-Z-T-E-C-O underscore. This is Beautyon's, uh, outfit. And, uh, I can't remember the, his partner's name right now, but Beautyon, if you know who I'm talking about, uh, his outfit is Azteco and they have, put in apparently now a second and a third vendor uh, so that uh, you can go get, you can go basically buy a a Bitcoin voucher and then use that voucher to redeem the Bitcoin that you bought with cash or wherever. But there's only three vendors right now. and Certainly none none of them are in the United States because nobody's going to want to do that. I, I harp on that a lot. You guys know why. Uh, but, uh, this is out of 6102 Bitcoins, uh, tw- uh, had, uh, Twitter account. He tweeted out earlier today that Azteco's website shows that they are now operating in India, Africa, and South America, a very special company built by people with a deep understanding of what Bitcoin is. This is how millions of people will be onboarded on to, or sorry, into Bitcoin. So there's that Azteco is one of my favorite companies and it's, has had some of the slowest growth, but I think I think that that's going to pay off for Beautyon and uh, the partners and and anybody who starts operating a Azteco kiosk. Hopefully, more and more will come online uh, sooner rather than later. But Azteco's been a solid, solid Bitcoin company for years. So there's that. BTC Pay Server has a nice little set of tweets out that uh, kind of run down exactly all the stuff BTC Pay Server does. And let's start off here. BTC Pay is not just a payment processor. <clears throat> it's a free and open source technology stack with wide range of possibilities. <clears throat> we provide a tool 
that you can use at home for everyday Bitcoin stuff or build your entire business on top of it. You can use BTC Pay too. Accept Bitcoin payments without fees or intermediary. Develop an app on top of it. Run a full Bitcoin node. Become a payment processor for others. Use a full node non-custodial web wallet compatible with HW. Embed a donation button on your site. PSBT slash multisig landing page slash invoices for clients. Point of sale terminal in retail. Deploy a self-hosted crowdfunding page. Run a self-hosted WooCommerce store on top of it. Deploy a self-hosted crowdfunding page. They actually said that twice. Sorry, that that wasn't me. That was that was BTC. Whatever. Easily manage your incoming, outgoing payments. Deploy self-hosted Patreon alternative. Libra Patron is uh, listed on here. Uh, connect your mobile wallet to your full node. Run in Bitcoin testnet or Reg test environment. Run a full node on Raspberry Pi at home. And everybody's just, you know, has been getting on the bandwagon of of thrashing people who run nodes on Raspberry Pis. I've been seeing a lot of it today. But that's, I mean, that is a, that's quite a list. Okay. So if, if any of you guys out there were thinking that BTC Pay is just to take BTC payments, think again. They are, in fact, uh, kind of developing a, a, a stack environment. So, Go, if you haven't checked them out, go check them out. Um, this next one is kind of spooky. Uh, I picked this one up about an hour ago on Twitter, and this is from a guy named Raul Pal at R-A-O-U-L-G-M-I. Now, what does he say? He says, a currency crisis? When the long-term charts all start pointing to a single event risk, I pay attention. When those charts are at a key level... I focus. And when they break, it is time for action. Something really big is going on. We are at the most important juncture in foreign exchange markets in my entire 30-year career. The dollar appears at risk of an uncontrolled rise. Let me show you. The Fed board trade weighted dollar index is incredibly close to breaking the enormous cup and handle pattern at 130, barely half a percent away. And this translates into one of the largest into the largest chart pattern in the history of foreign exchange, the ADXY head and shoulders top. A pattern so big, I can't quite get my head around the outcome. A fall of 20% or more across all Asian major currencies, and we are right on the cliff of death. Okay, this is where I got scared and ran away. Seriously, man, this is like this is like a telling ghost stories around a, a campfire when you're a kid at summer camp, and I, I literally stopped reading I will re- be reading the rest of it, but this is, and, and the reason I will is because this is an important thread. I mean, I've kind of scanned the rest of it and it's, he makes a pretty good case that we're at this really weird place. And so who is this guy? You know, should I even listen to him? Well, at 80,000 followers and his ratio is that he's following 674. And that's for me in Twitter, that's kind of an important ratio, something like that. Now, is it possible that he bought the followers? Yes, it's always possible. I don't know. But generally speaking, when I see somebody that's got a shit ton of followers and is also following a, you know, a shit ton of people, somehow or another, I'm like, eh. But something like this hits me, and I see founder and CEO, global macro investor and real vision group, business cycle economist, investment strategist, economic historian, traveler, and rum drinker. And he lives in Little Cayman, the Cayman Islands. Um, looking into this guy a little, just a little bit. I don't know, man. Seems pretty legit. Seems pretty legit, dude. Um, I've I've got this tweet or this tweet thread in my uh, curated Twitter timeline, which you can get if you go and look at my timelines at b e n n d seven seven. That's my Twitter handle, and you can get to this from there. Uh, let's get uh, let's see here. Where, what else is going on? Is that it for community stuff? That is it for community stuff. <laughs> Let's burn, let's burn into the morning roundup. What do we got going on? All right, first up, 
Bloomberg really needs to step up their editorial, their editing, not editorial, but their editing game. Uh, Joel Rosenblatt's writing t- uh, yesterday, 2019, says, this is Bloomberg again, Coinbase must face negligent suit over Bitcoin cash launch. So um, Coinbase Incorporated must face a negligent lawsuit for allegedly botching the launch of its digital currency, Bitcoin cash or BCH through an apparent, quote, incompetence born of haste, end quote, a judge ruled. Now I'm going to stop right there. This is one of at least two pretty big errors for somebody writing about this kind of stuff. As much as I hate Bcash, 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 uh, it is not, the way this is written is it sounds like it's Coinbase's coin. And an argument can be made that it kind of is. Um, I don't think that that was the impetus of, of this particular writer. Again, let me, let me read this. Um, Coinbase must face a negligent lawsuit for allegedly botching the launch of its digital currency, Bitcoin Cash. Yeah, see, there's there's a problem there. Um, it is not Coinbase's coin, although it should be. I don't like Coinbase, and I certainly don't like Bcash. Uh, but come on, dudes, get get it together. <clears throat> Continuing, U.S. District Judge Vince Chabdi in San Francisco threw out more claims in the suit than he allowed to advance, but he rejected Bitcoin's argument that the suit should be handled in arbitration and ruled buyers of Bitcoin cash, not sellers, can move forward with the suit. So he re, this is me talking, he, the judge, apparently people, the judge rejected Bitcoin's argument because Bitcoin woke up that morning <clears throat> and then Bitcoin, you know, probably went to the bathroom wearing boxer shorts or some shit like that and then got all cleaned up and, you know, put on a suit and tie and, and then Bitcoin probably ate breakfast and then Bitcoin got into Bitcoin's car, drove Bitcoin's happy ass. Dead, and this is bullshit. I, stop. Ah. <laughs> uh. And this is Bloomberg, right? I mean, enough said. The judge ruled the refile complaint lays out a plausible account that Coinbase breached its duty to maintain a functional market. Coinbase briefly enabled orders to be posted in U.S. dollars on its platform for more sophisticated traders in December 2017, but it suspended it after two minutes due to significant volatility. Bcash, a spinoff from Bitcoin, surged in the hours before Coinbase posted on its website that it was would enable its customers to buy the cryptocurrency spinoff fork, instigating an investigation of potential insider trading. The decision to halt trading was an indication of dysfunction, the judge wrote. Buyers of Bcash argued Coinbase could have announced its trading launch well in advance to avert a spike in price, he said. Buyers, the judge rule, alleged a plausible motive. A rush to launch because the Chicago Mercantile Exchange opened trading in Bitcoin futures the day before. Such circumstances may explain why buyers' orders were filled with high price limit orders, the judge said. Sellers' claims, or sellers' claims, on the other hand, that they lost an opportunity to sell at artificially high prices was caused by Coinbase's decision to halt trading, which wasn't negligent according to the ruling. Coinbase got fraud and unfair competition claims thrown out. The company didn't immediately respond to an email seeking comment about the booking, or the ruling, sorry. The case is Burke v. Coinbase, 18 CV 01364 U.S. District Court for Northern District of California, in case you guys want to go check out the details of that. But yeah, uh, it's going to have to face a negligence suit, but you know, due to apparent uh, incompetence incompetence. Coinbase was incompetent. Okay. That's, that's at least one takeaway that you get from this. It's too bad. The judge threw out the rest of it. Um, but again, Bloomberg dudes, man, (laughs) you really got to get on top of this. Uh, now a a publication that does know how to write about Bitcoin is Cointelegraph and Anna Alexandra is writing, for them today, or no, this is actually from August 5th, the U.S. Federal Reserve launching payment system, CryptoBulls nonplussed. <laughs> the, 
The United States Federal Reserve Board is planning to release a real-time payments and settlement service in order to boost the payments infrastructure in the country. A press release published on August the 5th reads that the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System has requested the Federal Reserve Banks develop a new interbank real-time settlement service to support faster payments in the U.S. The system is called FedNow. And will purportedly launch in 2023 or 2024. It's that's not going to go anywhere, man. <laughs> By launching FedNow four years from now, my God, people. By launching FedNow, the Fed aims to modernize the country's payment system with a real-time service that can transfer funds around the clock and on weekdays and weekends. The service will purportedly be available to both businesses and the general public. The Fed believes that such a payment system will allow consumers to more flexibly manage their money and make time-sensitive payments and is requesting comment on the possible design and functionality of the new service. Commenting on the issue, Federal Reserve Board Governor Lael Brainard said, quote, everyone deserves the same ability to make and receive payments immediately and securely. And every bank deserves the same opportunity to offer that service to its community. FedNow will permit banks of every size in every community across the country to provide real-time payments to their customers. Some members of the cryptocurrency community are nonplussed by the Fed's plan to launch its own real-time payment system. Anthony Pompliano, co-founder and crypto asset manager for... uh, Co-founder of crypto asset management firm Morgan Creek Digital Assets tweeted, Bitcoin is already available. Yes, it is. Others were more diplomatic with their response. Gaber Gerbax, Director of Digital Asset Strategy at MV Index Solutions, a subsidiary of investment management firm VanEck, tweeted, quote, Great that the Federal Reserve is taking a forward-looking and intelligent stance regarding innovation in digital assets and payments. I recommend considering the benefits of Bitcoin, a functioning, reliable, trust-minimized base layer for sound money. <laughs> Other crypto-related companies are positioned to make a contribution to the project. In June, uh, here it comes, Ripple Labs was elected to the Federal Reserve's Faster Payments Task Force Steering Committee. The initiative intends to build fast, safe, and ubiquitous payment networks in the United States. The Federal Reserve cut interest rates last week, a move which some experts say could be potentially responsible for Bitcoin's recent price rally. Fundstrat Global Advisors co-founder Tom Lee said, quote, Bitcoin's becoming an increasingly a macro hedge for investors against things that could go wrong. Rate cuts are adding liquidity. Liquidity is pushing money into all these risk assets and also hedges, which is helping Bitcoin. And that's going to do it for that, that article. But of course, the Federal Reserve got scammers at Ripple Labs uh, to help them come scam the rest of the world in the United States with their Fed now bullshit. Um, yeah. <laughs> of course they did. Of course they did. Okay. Now, this is an older article. <clears throat> this was actually from June 25th, 2019. And the reason reason I'm reading it instead of the Wall Street Journal article about this is because I'm not paying the Wall Street Journal to read their crap and they've got a paywall up. So I just went to Vice. Um, and it's probably reporting on the exact same thing that Vice did, you know, in, in, you know, mid June <clears throat> or towards the end of June. Motherboard, uh, oh, sorry, God. <laughs> Motherboard and Vice are writing. A DIY internet network has drastically expanded its coverage in NYC. This is written by Carl Bode on June 25th, 2019. A community-run operation named NYC Mesh is on a mission to deliver better, cheaper broadband service to New York City. The locally-run nonprofit project says it's engaging in a dramatic expansion that should soon deliver a new, more open broadband alternative to big ISPs, Uh, to big ISPs to a wider swath of the boroughs of Manhattan and Brooklyn. With the installation of a new supernode, NYC Mesh has greatly expanded its coverage area to much of Western Brooklyn, as well as much as much of lower Manhattan. Like most cities, New York city suffers from a meaningful lack of broadband broadband competition. The city's biggest ISP Verizon is currently being sued by the city for failing to fully deploy fiber as part of a 2014 agreement with the city. Verizon's biggest competitor spectrum is routinely ranked 
as one of the worst companies in America in customer satisfaction. Born out of frustration in 2013, NYC Mesh isn't a traditional business. It's built on the backs of volunteers and donors who dedicate their time, money, bandwidth, hardware, and resources to building an alternative to the abysmal logjam that is shoddy U.S. broadband. Yeah, no shit, guys. You get better broadband in a hut in the Philippines than you do in the major metropolitan areas in the United States, and that is not a joke. Continuing on, NYC Mesh member and spokesperson Scott Rasmussen told Motherboard the project hopes to address the fact that between a quarter and a third of NYC residents still don't have broadband connection, and those that do have access, who do have access, are often stuck with pricey monopolies that don't respect consumer privacy. Quote, NYC Mesh believes in an open, neutral, and resilient internet that is accessible to all people, no matter what their home may look like or how much they can afford, Rasmussen said. Quote, we believe that the best way of achieving this is to build a network that is entirely community-owned and managed, In quote. Initially, the mesh network was powered by a single supernode antenna and hardware array located at 375 Pearl Street in Manhattan. This gigabit fiber-fed antenna connects 300 buildings where members have mounted routers on a rooftop or near a window. These local nodes, in turn, connect to the Internet exchange point without the need for a traditional ISP. Unlike traditional ISP, users don't pay a fixed monthly rate, and there is no costly monthly usage caps or overage fees. An NYC mesh rate sheet notes the project is funded by optional monthly member donations of $20 or $50 for residential users or 100 bucks for a business. Users also pay $110 for a Wi-Fi router and rooftop antenna and 50 bucks installation fee. Rasmussen told Motherboard Project leaders do their best to ensure that price is never prohibitory. At the same time, service speed takes a best effort approach. Available bandwidth can vary greatly depending on the overall distance from the central node antenna and may be impacted by regional weather conditions. Customer support, like the network itself, is also a community affair, relying on the time and expertise of local volunteers. Our members are contributors to our community, not customers consumers or users notes the project's faq being a member of our network has many benefits including replacing your current isp with fast neutral affordable and unmonitored internet access the organization just announced it will be dramatically expanding the network starting this month with the installation of a new supernode three antenna and hardware array at industry city in the sunset park neighborhood of brooklyn According to NYC Mesh, this new supernode will have 50 times the capacity of the original node, allowing the project to extend availability to Sunset Park, South Slope, Park Slope, Gowanus, Red Hook, and beyond. NYC Mesh is just one of 750 United States communities that have built some flavor of community broadband as an alternative to substandard services from private ISPs. Data shows that community operations routinely offer faster, cheaper, and better service than traditional ISPs. One community-run ISP in Chattanooga was rated the best ISP in America last year. Man, dude. In contrast to most private ISPs, NYC Mesh says it won't collect or monetize your private usage data. Aside from occasionally looking at traffic headers for network troubleshooting purposes, the project says it never logs or stores customer usage activity. Unlike many ISPs, NYC Mesh has promised that its network will always adhere to the idea of network neutrality, as in the network will never prioritize one website or service over another just to make a quick buck. NYC Mesh is a nonprofit project of the New York chapter of the Internet Society, ISOC NY, an, organiza- an organization tasked with building a better, more secure Internet, and it's part of a steadily growing trend of locals taking the problem of terrible U.S. broadband, thanks to apathetic government officials who enable it, into their own hands. NYC Mesh is more than happy to support anyone interested in building a community network. Our website includes information about every facet of our network and how-to guides for building your own. We also offer technical training to give all people the opportunity to become community network leaders and experts. I this is that was huge in June. I can only assume that the Wall Street Journal article was going to was talking about the fact that uh, the upgrade has probably been completed, and that the Supernode three uh, 
has been installed and is functioning in uh, Brooklyn. So that's probably what what Wall Street was talking about. But I missed this one back in June. You know, I, I completely missed this one, and this is important shit. Um, also, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this one other thing about it, and then we'll move on. <clears throat> When people ask you who will build the roads, please send them this article. That is all. Okay, Binance. Uh, we're going to have to do it since everybody's talking about it. A telegram. Oh, this is the block crypto. This is Yogita Katri. She is writing this as of this morning at about, God. So this happened around three o'clock in the morning. Eastern Daylight Time, unless they're timestamps off, whatever. A Telegram channel has been spreading know your customer information, including photos, passports, IDs, which is which it claims is of Binance users. Thousands of people have already joined the channel today. The block reached out to Binance to confirm whether the KYC documents are a result of an internal leak or whether the documents originate from phishing attacks or a KYC account selling service. Lee Lee, global PR manager at Binance, told the block, quote, there are inconsistencies when comparing this data to the data in our system. At the present time, no evidence has been supplied that indicates any KYC images have been obtained from Binance, as these images do not contain the digital watermark imprinted by our system. With that said, our security team is hard at work pursuing all possible leads in an attempt to identify the source of these images, as it remains unclear where they were obtained. Binance CEO, the Binance CEO also tweeted earlier today, don't fall into the KYC leak FUD. We are investigating. We'll update shortly. Funds are suffering. After the publication of this story, Binance issued an official statement on the leak saying it is false, adding, quote, an unidentified individual has threatened or and harassed us, demanding 300 BTC in exchange for withholding 10,000 photos that bear similarity to Binance KYC data. End quote. The exchange further said that the photos appear to be dated from February 2018, and at that time it had contracted a third-party vendor for KYC verification in order to handle the high volume of requests at that time. The, the exchange, therefore, is also investigating with the third-party vendor for more information. Binance is also rewarding up to 25 BTC to those who will help it identify the individual and allow it to take legal action against them. This is not the first time such alleged leaks have hit Binance earlier this year. A darknet vendor was reportedly selling 100,000 personal documents that were used to pass KYC on several cryptocurrency exchanges, including Binance. Binance responded similarly to the block at the time, saying that they had investigated the photos in question, but there was no evidence that the leak was from Binance. That doesn't matter. The world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, for its part, has been taking several initiatives to up its compliance game, in recent months, Binance has partnered with various compliance and investigation software providers such as Identity Mind, Chain Analysis, Ecliptic, and Refinitiv, formerly the financial and risk business division of Thomson Reuters. So, okay. Uh, bullshit. This actually seems to have happened, and there's just, a, uh, I mean, there's a huge internal inconsistency just in the story itself before we get to something else. Because, you know, Zal saying that the KYC leak is FUD, but then right after that says, uh, that talks about how this would, that, you know, that all these photos appear to have come from February 2018. And that at that time they were working with a third party vendor for KYC shit. Okay. That sounds to me like this really did happen. And there's other evidence to, there's other evidence about this. Okay. Uh, where, where is my, where's my thing? Okay. Um, I had asked earlier today on Twitter, if anybody could confirm it because I went to the telegram channel, it's gone. At least the channel that this particular story is, uh, uh, linking to, I can't get to it. It doesn't exist. So, um, I wrote out, I said, I can't find the channel they are talking about. Can anyone confirm it existed? And then I've got the link to the block cryptos uh, story about it. At Shitcoin Sherpa wrote back a couple minutes later and says, can confirm, I was there earlier this morning. It's been deleted now, so much the better. Was pretty gross. Loads of smiling faces and folks holding up their Binance slash date signs and documents. So, yeah, I don't think this is FUD. I, I, don't, I don't think this is FUD at all. And I think that it, it, this is a, a yet another breach of confidence. Uh, incompetence due to haste sounds 
an, like an appropriate label here. So guys be careful and just kind of assume that if you've ever done this before, assume that it's going to be out in the, out in the open sooner or later. I, I hate to say it, but yeah, it is what it is. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Now, Cointelegraph, uh, Marie Hewlett is writing that Bitcoin price correlation with gold nearly doubled in the past three months. This was written earlier this morning. The correlation between digital and physical gold has almost doubled in the past three months. Fresh data from Bloomberg revealed on August the 7th. The statistics revealed that while the correlation between Bitcoin and gold over the past year was at 0496 in the past three months, this has almost doubled to hit 0.837, where a coefficient of positive one indicates perfect correlation and negative one perfect non-correlation. Uh, Bloomberg notes that over the past year, the correlation between the assets has been random, with the two assets trading inversely 49% of the time, in a correlated downturn 22% of the time, and in a correlated uptrend 29% of the time. Yet since May 8th of this year, their trading in tandem has surged to 58%. The article notes the caveat that three months is a relatively minor data set as well as the fact that correlation does not imply causation. Moreover, its authors argue that the stablecoin tether, rather than, uh, rather than purely market forces, has a significant impact on the price of Bitcoin and the liquidity of crypto markets. And I'm just going to go ahead and end it there because you know that Peter Schiff is just he's probably not happy about this and we're not going to be happy about this, which is also by Marie Juliet, also writing for Cointelegraph also this morning. The European Central Bank says it's ramping up crypto surveillance to include off-chain data. All right, so the European Central Bank says the central banking community will refine its monitoring of cryptocurrency transactions both on and off-chain. In an August 7th report entitled Understanding the Crypto Asset Phenomenon, Its Risks and Measurement Issues, the ECB argues that closing the data gaps associated with crypto assets continues to pose a significant challenge for regulators and financial institutions. The report argues that the risks and spillover effects of crypto assets to the real economy depends on the extent that the two spheres are interconnected. It advises that the ECB should therefore prolong and refine its qualitative and quantitative analysis of the new asset class. Yet, while the public nature of distributed ledger technology-based crypto asset networks, man, that is a mouthful, broadly provides transparency, the report notes the decentralized and patchily regulated nature of crypto asset-related activities complicate efforts to organize systemic data collection efforts. This is in part due to the absence of hard transaction data covering both on and off-chain activity, resulting in only a partial view of the asset market. As the report outlines, initiatives to refine crypto asset data collection and analysis have been undertaken by entities such as Irving Fisher Committee on Central Banking Statistics and expert groups investigating the statistical classification of crypto assets in the system of national accounts. While the latter initiative may have significant implications for measuring nation's GDP and other indicators, the ECB notes statistical classification for crypto assets remains a complex task. Given that their very characteristics is or characteristic is not to represent a financial claim on or a liability of any identifiable entity. <laughs> They're starting to get it. The ECB states that those seeking reliable on and off chain data must further overcome the difficulty of retrieving public data on market segments that remain off radar to public for public authorities. They must also contend with relatively illiquid crypto trading platforms that may be affected by wash trading and take into account the lack of consistency in the methodology and conventions used by in, inter, institutionalized exchanges and commercial data providers. In its conclusion, the ECB pledges to continue to analyze both on-chain and layered protocol transactions and to focus on harmonizing and enriching metadata for off-chain transactions as well as developing best practices for crypto asset indicators. All right, so basically this is, at first they laugh at you, and then they go right into taking you dead ass serious. Um, and the ECB doing this, it means that they are have now figured out that this is not a fad. It's not a hallucination. It's not 
you know, a hit of MDMA that's made them, you know, you know, think something's going to go away when it's not, because I think they, whatever it is, they've all woken up and figured out, oh shit. And they're 10 years behind. We've got a 10 year, we've got a 10 year head start on them and we might as well make it count for everything that we can. Next up. Oh God. Oh yeah. Uh, oh God. Thank, oh, whew. thankfully I didn't, uh, I was about to read a story twice. Somehow it got up in my, in my stack twice. Uh, no, I'm not going to tell you about Coinbase again. Ask Clown Circus only needs to be talked about once. This is from our good buddy, Vlad Costilla writing August the 5th in 2019. He's writing for Bitcoin magazine. And if you're not following Vlad on, uh, on Twitter, man, you, you, you really should. You, you really should, man. He's a, Solid, solid Bitcoiner. He says, BitPiggies help children stack Satoshis and learn financial responsibility. Now, I've reported on BitPiggies before, and they have, like I've said, they're fast becoming one of my favorite companies. And I did a segment on them. And and the reason I'm doing this one is that I want to hear, I want y'all to hear uh, Vlad's take on this. It's good to get a different, uh, you know, a a different perspective. So what does he say here? Uh, He says, oh, man. Dude, come on. Piggy banks have long served as a symbol of financial prudence and savings, a place to deposit pocket chain and hold it for a rainy day. But what if fiat coins aren't the best store of value after all? For Jim, the creator of open dime powered company BitPiggies, these novelty banks clearly needed an introduction to Bitcoin. Bitcoin has always been appreciated by its adopters for its uncensorable and non-confiscatable nature. While many governments, government-backed currencies can undergo unpredictable inflation or other manipulations, Satoshi's invention is steady and robust. So when it comes to storing a valuable in-demand asset for times of greater adoption, Bitcoin and piggy banks might be the perfect match. When Jim, also known as FF2K or at Fartface2000 on Twitter, Created BitPiggies, he definitely had the extended sound money qualities of Bitcoin in mind. The New Jersey entrepreneur, who also holds the distinction of being the first recipient of Holdenot's LN trust chain, took on the principle of what the skeuomorphism by bringing something natively digital into the tangible world. The resulting product is a combination of a good old piggy bank and the technology provided by an open dime USB stick. It was around the time that Coinstar announced that they would be selling Bitcoin at their change machines. I just thought, how great would it be to be able to collect change and convert it to Bitcoin? And then I started to think about the piggy bank. I think I tweeted something in reference to it in January of 2019, just kind of putting the idea out there. The initiative has caught the attention of some significant community members who saw value in the idea of creating piggy banks for children who want to start saving. Quote, Mr. Hodel encouraged me, along with NVK, and that's Rodolfo Novak, Mike in Space, and Adam Meister, all of which I was listening and learning from, Jim said. Interestingly, the Open Dime USB device itself is advertised as a piggy bank as it features features very much resemble those of ceramic or plastic swine that hold your coins. You can oh sorry, you can keep on adding money to them without being able to spend it. It's only the process of opening up the piggy that gives you complete control over the funds. In the case of the hardware device, opening up can be thought of as revealing the private key. Jim's innovation hinged on turning the description into a physical representation that's easy to understand for young first coiners. Oh, I like that term. First coiner, coiners. First coinery. Nice. <clears throat> just as the first versions of the iPhone's operating system featured app icons and interfaces which look just like their tangible counterparts, BitPiggies integrates a novel concept into something known and time-tested. When talking about his approach to skeuomorphism, I guess that's how it's pronounced. Jim mentioned that the bit piggy is actually just a figurine. The actual brains of the package is the open dime. It allows me to produce a unique public key without exposing the private key so I can print up corresponding QR codes and the bit piggy open dime owner can physically verify that the open dime is sealed and safe to deposit funds. Children will be able to stack Satoshis without having to operate other user interfaces and they can be taught how to check their balance by using a block explorer or full node when they grow up. Furthermore, the fact that stats on the open dime are harder to spend than quarters means that time preference education is also included as part of the process. Quote, 
my target audience is actually existing Bitcoiners who want to introduce their pre-coiner friends to accumulating sound money, said Jim. The responsibility of having kids and saving for their future will make you learn anything. Nice. It's an easy first step to get them interested. At press time, the first prototype of the BitPiggy, named version 1.0, is sold for $40 on the company's website. In comparison, a three-pack of open dimes costs $44.97, which means that the profit for the design and labor of the piggy is minimal. However, extra revenue is bought is brought by opting in for features such as inclusion of the optional open dime and three QR labels, as well as the gift wrapping. If you already own the hardware device and just want to order the colorful swine, then you may also pursue this DIY approach. Jim noted that feedback so far has been minimal, but mostly positive. The product is supposed to be fun and educational. I hope that it encourages the owners to learn more about Bitcoin. The BitPiggy's creator has some clear ideas about the ways in which the Open Dime powered piggy banks can be improved. He wants the product to generate a different address each time with the help of something like BTC Pay Server and eventually include full node integration. I would hope that in the future, a company that produces a turnkey node like Casa or Nodal will offer a piggy bank as a device that communicates with your node, he said. It would be great if it could generate new addresses on every deposit and verify all transactions via your node. Even better, if there was a kid-friendly watch-only wallet app that enabled setting goals and checking savings. Jim has plans in the works to distribute his piggies all across Europe. Furthermore, the American Bitcoiner sees potential in BitPiggies beyond the personal profits and regards it as an educational tool for the next generation. Quote, the goal of BitPiggies is to get some Satoshis in the next generation's hands so that they they can be in a position to hopefully make better financial decisions for themselves in the future. This will help all of society. It certainly will. So, yeah, Vlad's got a good take on it, and I'm glad I wasn't very far off on my take on it uh, because it uh, seemed to have been correct. However, what is not correct is that VeChain releases blockchain-encrypted wine bottles for Australian wine maker. Max Body's writing for Cointelegraph as of, when was this? Uh, Sometime yesterday. Public Enterprise Blockchain... Platform VeChain has partnered with Australian winemaker Penfolds to release a case of blockchain encrypted wine bottles for sale as part of its wine traceability platform initiative. More specifically, the launch of Penfolds BIN 407 in July marks the beginning of VeChain's WTP Phase 2 per press release from VeChain on August 6th. The bottles from this case are reportedly available at the Wabadagoblog. International Alcohol Exhibition and Trading Center, DIG's flagship store, and the Sen Lan Shang Du in Pudong New District. As per the press release, each bottle inside bin 47 comes attached with an encrypted NFC chip. This chip reportedly contains the bottle's product information on a blockchain, which can be accessed with a chip reader. These details reportedly include the the bottle's provenance information which is verified by third-party auditors i'm stopping right there because this is absolute bullshit all you can tell me is that i know where the nfc chip physically is it doesn't verify that you didn't put hobo wine into the bottle okay it doesn't do that this is not you do not need blockchain for this stuff okay you do not need blockchain for this stuff Unless you can put something in the actual wine bottle itself that is in the, you know what? I'm not even going to go there because I just realized even that's bullshit. You can put a device in there that, that is in with the wine and you can still put hobo wine in the bottle. Nothing, nothing guarantees that it's going to be a 2007, you know, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon from whatever region. Nothing, nothing about having it on the blockchain is going to do that. Right. Now, in this is by Adrian Zdeminski from Cointelegraph, also writing yesterday, says, Grocery involved in nearly half of distributed ledger technology supply chain projects. That's what we were just reading, okay? So let's get, well, we're not going to dive too deep into this because this is also BS. The grocery sector is responsible for nearly half of all DLT-based supply chain projects. Research conducted by the University College London Center for Blockchain and Retail Blockchain Consortium and published on August the 4th shows that the grocery industry has the highest number of DLT-based supply chain tracking projects 
Per the report, nearly half of all the projects analyzed operate within the grocery sector, while about 15% respectively operate in the healthcare and fashion industries. And I'm going to stop right there because it's bullshit. There is nothing about lettuce on the blockchain that, that makes me feel secure in understanding that everything the blockchain says about the lettuce, head of lettuce I'm holding in my hand is actually true. None of it. It's bullshit. Stop it. Stop it. And I and, and they won't. They're not stopping it because Coindesk's Daniel Palmer is saying standard chartered completes first transaction on oil industry platform Voltron. Standard chart. This was all this is today. He's writing uh, this morning sometime. Standard Charter Bank has announced the successful completion of the first international letter of credit transaction on the oil industry focused blockchain platform Voltron. In an announcement Wednesday, the bank said it had conducted the pilot transaction for PTT Group, PTT International Trading, PTE LTD, and IRPC Public Company Limited, which involved shipment of an oil product from Thailand to Singapore. Quote, Standard Charter was able to digitize and simplify the end-to-end exchange of information between all parties in the transaction on the Voltron platform, including the issuance, advising, and negotiation of LC and presentation of documents. I The way that I signed all the documents for buying the house that I live in right now all came to me through a web through web-based services that I was able to digitally sign, send back, and everything was accepted, and none of it existed on a freaking blockchain. Come on, man, this is ridiculous. Eh, you know, it's just it's it's stupid. So stop. I again, I think the only thing outside of Bitcoin that could be put on a blockchain that is sensible is one is identity. And no, I'm not talking about Vinnie Lingham civic. All right. There's another way to do it without getting his, without getting that dude into the mix. And the only other thing that I can think of outside of identity is, uh, stones print like, uh, diamonds and pretty much probably only diamonds. Uh, they have a unique fingerprint when uh, light is shined through a cut stone. Um, and that one I could see. However, the minute that somebody steals a big diamond and turns it into two little diamonds, whatever information was held by the original diamond on the blockchain is still going to be there. And the two children diamonds uh, of the Cleve diamond will have no existence. Um, so that's about the only, I mean, even, you know, but even then that's the only other thing. You know, it certainly isn't going to be wine that you can put on the blockchain and believe where it came from. I, you, it, uh, it's just absolute nonsense. It's just nonsense. And last up is Helen Parts is writing for Cointelegraph. Mike Novogratz's Galaxy Digital hires former Cumberland executives. This is, uh, when did you write this? Yesterday. Mike Novogratz, crypto investment bank Galaxy Digital, hired a former executive at crypto trading giant Cumberland as head of global sales. According to an internal notice to Galaxy Digital's counterparties, Wall Street veteran David Gross joined the company. Crypto media outlet The Block reports August the 6th. In his new position, Gross will be working on boosting sales in three units of Galaxy's business and will be reporting to President Chris Ferraro per the report. Before joining Galaxy Digital, David Gross served as Global Head of Relationship Management at Cumberland, the Chicago-based cryptocurrency trading unit of DRW Holdings, according to his LinkedIn profile. While his most recent position at Cumberland around a year, Gross apparently had extended experience in senior positions at global financial service firms Credit Suisse and Lehman Brothers, where he worked a total of 15 years. By joining Galaxy Digital, Gross followed <clears throat> former Coinbase's over-the-counter exec Tim Plaka, who left the company for Galaxy in May 2019 to focus on OTC trading at the firm. Meanwhile, six executives reportedly left Galaxy in recent months, including the firm's CTO Mike McMahon, amid the company's reports of a net loss of nearly $273 million in 2018. Recently, uh, Recently, Bitcoin.com appointed Stefan Russ as whatever, whatever. That's going to do it for your morning roundup. Ooh, vital statistics. Good news, everybody. 
BTC is at an average, it seems, of 12044 Nice. Nice. Where's my low? Where's my low? My low is over at GDAX at 12026 And it looks like my high is going to be over at Coinbase Pro at $12,000 or $12,089. 381,000 transactions were made over the last 24 hours with 15,900 transactions on average every hour. One point, oh yeah, 1 million BTC have been sent over the last 24 hours with an average sent per hour of 42,000 BTC. The average transaction value was hovering around 2.5 BTC and the median transaction value is right where I want it at 0.027 BTC or about 325 bucks USD. Block time's low. Gee, I wonder why. Eight minutes and 47 seconds. Uh, 0.315 BTC have been taken on a per block basis in fees and 51.73 BTCs have been rewarded over the last 24 hours as fees. Hash rates at an all-time high. Yep, that's why. 2.69% gain gives us 78.9 exahashes per second. Last GitHub commit was sometime yesterday. Left to right, Ethereum's at 229, Bcash is at 345, Litecoin is at 93, BSV's at 149, Ethereum Classic is at five, eh, six bucks. Dogecoin is at 0.003, Mempool. Dun, dun. Every block is over a megabyte, and we have 15,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting in the next 10 blocks. So the Mempool, Mempool's a little stacked up, guys, but that's going to do it for your vitals. Let's see. Song today is from uh, Peter Gabriel. And the name of the song is Come Talk to Me. And this is a one of my favorite, one of my favorite songs. And this one's live. This one is from the album uh, <clears throat> A Secret World Live. Uh, this came out in 1994. Uh, it's it's getting it's it's old, man. Uh, this is actually this particular album is one of my all-time favorite albums because it has most of the the favorite songs I have of Peter Gabriel all done live by a master set of musicians, and it's it's absolutely awesome. So okay, strapping guys, this one's gonna be a, this one's gonna be a long one. This is about ten minutes, and but it's worth it. Why is it worth it? Well, because you got Peter Gabriel. I mean, I yeah, am I excited about the fact that he decided to open open his mouth and. Tell me what politics he likes. No, I wish he'd shut up and and just play music. But hey, to each his own. Politics aside, I, that I really don't care. I don't. I the, the whole thing is I, I don't like it when musicians do that because I'm like I'm not interested in that. It's not what's interesting about you to me. Politics are uninteresting to me. But be that as it may, check out the personnel in this in this thing. Manu Kache is the drummer. Tony Levin is bass player. David Rhodes is guitar and vocals. Uh, Jean-Claude Namiro is on keyboards and vocals. Shankar is violins and vocals. Levon Menison is on the Doduk. Doduk. I think that's how it's pronounced, Doduk. Um, And Pollacole is his backup vocalist. And Pollacole is, I'm going to be a feature work of hers like later on. But again, that's why you should spend 10 minutes of your day to listen to this one. This is really, really, really good. Um, and then I'm going to have a shorter Peter Gabriel one later on, probably Friday or something like that. Anyway, uh, just check it out.
Trainwrecked is brought to you by Kevin Pham. At Sunny Ratio, quote, what do you believe that most Bitcoiners don't believe? Me? I believe BTC has been taken over by communists. Kevin's always good for the lulls, man. But there's actually another train wrecked for today. But this is a this is a good train wrecked, uh, as in like you know somebody actually did something that that matters. Um, this is going to be hard to approach, but let me just uh, give you the the gist of it here. If you didn't see, I think this was it was either yesterday or wait a minute was it yesterday? Yeah, no, this was on August the fifth. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, BTC Sessions, at BTC Sessions, all one word. He says, this morning, someone tried to scam me out of Bitcoin on Instagram. I turned it around on them, scammed them out of money, and donated it to at BTC Venezuela, or B- at BTC Ven. What a wonderful day. Enjoy our conversation here. And he's got a post to 
all the screenshots of this entire discussion with this person from beginning to end that results in the theft of like, I think it was 50 bucks, but it starts with Susan Williams or Susan underscore Williams underscore 2121 says at seven, starting early, 7.56 a.m. Hello, how are you doing? And BTC session says, good, how are you? And then, you know, it all ensues and she starts talking about how people can double their money. If they give her some Bitcoin, they can double their Bitcoin and she'll give it back. And it's clear, pretty, you know, it's clearly a scam. <laughs> and let's see, where was my favorite find? I was like, okay, <clears throat> this is one of my favorite parts of this discussion. She says, <clears throat> after we do the mining for you, your daily profits will be automatically withdrawn into your receiving wallet address. BTC Sessions writes, pretty incredible returns from mining. What do I have to do? <laughs> she says, it's a simple process, sir. Do you have Bitcoins to start investi investing with? And he says, yes, I just bought five Bitcoin. And five Bitcoin is written five B-I-T space C-O-I-N. He's just baiting the shit out of this person. Yes, I just bought five Bitcoin the other day after cashing out some of my index funds. I'm pretty new to this wallet thing, though. Still learning. Okay, so you know where this is going. Let's just, let's cut to the chase. And it is a very, it's a long discussion. But essentially what he does is he ends up Basically, let's see, where is it? Hold on. Yeah, okay. Let me get to this this one part. He basically, you know, it's, from what I gather, he was saying, it's like, I was just not sure about this whole wallet thing and then seemed to fumble and make a mistake and then got her to this person to verify by sending him $50 in Bitcoin to his wallet so that he could, you know, I don't know, troubleshoot the problem that he was having. And this person did. She says, sends him a screenshot of, of sending 0 0.0041 BTC to this wallet address. And she and then the person says, there you go. Have you checked, Ben? And he writes back and he, the coup de grace is, you idiot scammer asshole. I'm donating your money to Bitcoin Venezuela. Go get a fucking job and stop being a piece of shit. Right. The person writes back, please don't do that, please. And then an emoji with crying eyes. I only sent you this to assure that assure you about my platform. You can't do this to me, please, Ben. No, send me, just send me back my Bitcoin. Oh man, and he did. He confirmed. Went to Bitcoin Venezuela, and that was the end of that conversation right there. So good on you, BTC Sessions. That was one of the one of the most hardcore displays of just being. I don't know. I don't know what to say about that one, but Ben, man. All the respect, all the respect on that one. <laughs> Two smoldering piles for you today. Terrible Joke Corner is brought to you by Dave underscore Parrish, P-A-R-R-I-S-H. And he was replying to one of my tweets that I send out when the show goes live. He says, quote, did you hear about the guy who cut off the left side of his body? Yeah, he's all right now. <laughs> See, that was beautiful. And he gave me 122 Satoshis. He bottle paid me, man, at bottle pay. If you haven't tried it out, try it out at bottle pay. Um, he says, you're welcome. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, dude, thank you. That was, that was, I've never heard that one before, but that is a classic bad joke, man. Okay. Okay. So, uh, it is Wednesday. It's midweek hump day and all that. Um, do what you can, I guess, to get to Friday, unless of course you're Nick Batya, who basically shit canned his, uh, his employer. So, uh, uh, freedom, freedom reigns. Bitcoin fixes this. Um, yeah, I guess there's really not much else to say, but be careful about the scammers and, you know, be aware, man. If you KYC'd yourself, eventually it's probably going to get released. And we've, you know, I mean, what can we do to, I mean, what can we do to, uh, to mitigate the, you know, what happens after that? 
So, you know, be thinking about that. Always have it in the back of your head and, and figure out ways to make, you know, make Bitcoin without buying it through Coinbase or even Cash App. I love Cash App, but there's still KYC aspects there. Um, how do you make Bitcoin? How do you, you know, get, how do you make your income, you know, get in, uh, be Bitcoin? And that's what I'm trying to figure out how to do too. But with all that said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon.